When it comes to web app and API security, the choice is simple. You can choose Fastly's security solution that teams will actually use in full blocking mode, just like 90% of their customers. Or you can stick with costly options that you probably just turn off. You can get Fastly's all-in-one platform that protects apps everywhere they live, however they're built. Or departments can agree to disagree. You can go to securityweekly.com forward slash Fastly to learn more. Or you can just wish you had. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. If you want to stay in the loop, all things Security Weekly, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher or to our YouTube channel, sign up for our mailing list, join the Discord server, and follow us on our newest live streaming platform. That's right, we're on Twitch. Also, if you have a specific topic or guest you'd like us to cover on the shows, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash guests we review those on a regular basis and always want to hear from our audience as to who you'd like to have on our shows congressman jim langevin is a senior member of the house armed services committee where he is the chairman of the subcommittee on cyber innovative technology information systems and also serves on subcommittees on sea power and projection forces and strategic forces jim welcome to the show thank you great to be with you it's nice to have you here. I want to thank you <clears throat> for your services and um, all you've done to promote cybersecurity. Thank you. Thank you. It's become a, a passion over the, the more than a decade or so that I've been doing this. Uh, we've made some progress. Uh, I'd like to see more, but it's a work in progress. Congressman, what, what drew you to uh, specifically cybersecurity? Well, I kind of fell into it. Um, I, I'm not... Um, I don't necessarily have a technical background. Uh, I'm, I'm a more of a policy wonk, and, and I was chairing a, a subcommittee on the Homeland Security Committee that had jurisdiction over uh, over cyber. The name of it was uh, uh, Emerging Threats, uh, Cybersecurity, and Science and Technology. So I really thought that most of the time uh, we would be looking at chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear threats to the country. Uh, and it wasn't until my staff director came to me one afternoon telling me that I really needed to get a, uh, a classified briefing from these two scientists from Idaho National Labs mm. that found a significant cyber vulnerability that could cause physical damage. Uh, that uh, there, That's when kind of the alarm bells went off. That, and I got the brief and, and I saw what was now known as the Aurora threat mm -hmm. that uh, showed how uh, the inserting some malware into the, uh, the generator's uh, logic control system did you uh, brief could, with Mike? Was Mike one of the, the folks you brief with? What's that? Was Mike one of the folks you, you brief with? Mike Asante. Yeah. yeah. And who sadly uh, not long ago passed away and, uh, and is a great loss to the, to the world. He was um, uh, a great guy and uh, uh, really a, a knowledgeable researcher. And, and I was lucky that uh, our paths crossed and he was the one that helped put me on this, on this path. But it really, it, it woke in me and, and showed me how again physical damage could be done through a cyber attack mm. uh, but then we started doing we did a deeper dive to see how prepared we were and found that we were really not prepared at all and that we needed a, there was a lot of work that needed to be done to better protect the country in cyberspace and uh, it's been a you know a, a work in progress ever since and several projects that i've been involved with have been extremely meaningful impactful including most recently the um, the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, where I was one of fourteen commissioners, mm -hmm. commissioners, uh, one of four members of Congress that were on the commission that uh, that, that we helped to create and uh, met for about a year, and then uh, we issued our report with eighty recommendations. Uh, Fifty five of those were turned into legislative proposals, and we were able to successfully get five of those. I mean, twenty over well twenty seven proposals uh, through the National Defense Authorization Act uh, were enacted into law and uh, are making significant progress toward better protecting us in cyberspace, including creating the first ever national cyber director, which I've been trying to do for more than a decade now. And it's finally got it across the finish line just at the end of last year. Fantastic. With, with the recent uh, attacks, especially on the Florida water system, of course, we cover industrial control systems attacks all the time. Do, do some of the new legislation uh, specifically address industrial control system cybersecurity here in the U.S.? So that's what we're, we're hoping uh, a, a new executive order will mm -hmm. uh, will do coming down the pike. Um, I would say that it will allow for uh, CISA to 
uh, be more proactive and that the cybersecurity infrastructure security agency mm -hmm. to be more proactive but they're the obviously the point agency dealing with uh, private sector and this is the challenge right that you know where most of the damage can be done this is what i found in my work uh more than a decade ago on the homeland security committee uh was that um, most of the damage will be done in the, the in critical infrastructure chemical you know in um, in our electric grid, our maybe our financial system, our telecommunication system, water sewage treatment plants, uh, but that's mainly owned and operated by the by the private sector, mm. and government really doesn't have a whole lot of control per se over those those entities. And so, um, although CISA has uh, broad authorities and in terms of protecting the .gov network, it's going to be a partnership between government and the private sector to better protections in cyberspace, including dealing with industrial control systems. What the what the change in the law we were able to get through in this last Congress uh, was to be able to create a joint cyber planning office at the at at CISA, which will help to anticipate these types of problems and then and then within say industrial control systems and then work more closely uh, to address those. It also clarifies roles between the the uh, the sector risk management agencies and, and CISA. So the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. And we have, you know, kind of closing the the gap between, you know, who's doing what. Is it? Do you do you believe there's legislation that that could help improve? I hate to have legislation dictate things, but this is our critical infrastructure here in the U.S. Do you believe there's uh, legislation that could be passed to allow them to uh, could be compliant with certain regulations? Uh, well, sure, and that's. You know, that's part where you're getting where the sector risk management agencies come in. Sometimes they have regulatory authority. Mm -hmm. uh, others in other areas, it may take uh, legislation needing to be passed that will uh, that will Im impose uh, more requirements uh, to, to make the um, industrial control systems uh, more uh, more secure. Okay, Lee, so you mentioned that the the operators are. Uh, private companies are not government entities which is cool but how how are they with the idea of uh, getting CISA involved in the and partnering and uh, are they on board are they resistant um, I wouldn't say they'd be looking for more regulation nobody is but it could they, really work well they want that partnership with the, the 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 government as government wants the partnership with the private sector in fact one of the commissioners was uh, on the the cyberspace OM commission uh, it's uh, Tom Fanning. Uh, the commission is still, by the way, uh, in, in force. We got an extension on our work. But Tom Fanning, who is the chairman and CEO of uh, of Southern Company, was incredibly just invaluable as a resource to Solarium and putting forth industry's perspective. And one of the things that he um, uh, was very passionate about and helped to shape one of our findings is a recommendation to create what's called a joint collaborative environment. So there's closer it's a basically we create a new social contract between government and the private sector uh to allow more robust information sharing and uh intelligence sharing so that basically um intel world has more insight into the threats that uh, that private sector critical infrastructure is facing and and uh critical infrastructure would get more real-time uh intelligence information to know where the threats are coming from or what the, the challenges they're facing. You know, right now we're basically uh, passing emails back and forth uh, in terms of uh, intel sharing. Tom Fanning points out that we, you know, we need something that's much more robust. So we almost got that recommendation through in this last Congress. It's going to be one of the things that I'll be working on in this Congress to create this, again, joint collaborative environment. Uh, it, it'll create a new social contract where government is going to have to share more robust intelligence information with private sector infrastructure, but private sector is also going to have to give more information to the government in terms of things like incident response, um, data breaches, and, and things of that nature. Hmm. What do you, What do you think the biggest challenge on that is aside from getting the legislation through? Once 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 we're once we're going to execute, where where where's our big, you know, where's the sell job got to be to get everybody on board? You know, I I think that most entities are there. It's 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 going to be sort of a change, paradigm change for the intelligence community, and that you know they're going to be working uh, more closely with cleared entities in private sector critical infrastructure. Mm. So, you know, the the intel world is it's it's always a 
you know, they deal in the realm of, you know, highly classified information. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's versus need to share. And in this case, we're going to have to have the, you know, the, the <coughs> sharing more uh, real-time information with private sector critical infrastructure. But, you know, I, I believe that we're going to get there. It's going to be a, again, this new social contract that uh, will create this environment that will allow this uh, more robust information sharing better going back and forth. And it's, it's to everyone's benefit. Do do you think that starts to push to, to push down like um, like they did with law enforcement after nine eleven? They started putting up fusion centers and things like that that were focused real heavily on sort of kinetic stuff. But do you think there could be more push to support those entities at local levels with information, with incident response, and all these kind of things uh, from federal? Yeah, that's right, and that's the that's the idea that you know we're going to anticipate and identify problems before they actually happen. Um, you know, if, if you know, the intelligence community may be looking at something um, that to them maybe looks innocuous or they wouldn't necessarily understand the impact of it. But if someone in the, in the critical infrastructure saw that same information would say, you know, wow, that's, that's a real problem. If they were to attack this particular node or this particular um, entity, it would have a broader impact. It's not just maybe a one-off, but could be something that's affecting critical infrastructure more broadly. So that's why that 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 info sharing is just uh, it's just so important. So um, you know, it's uh, it's really the, the CISA is you know the, the future for CISA is to of course be in the field. That's where they want to make sure that um, that CISA is is getting uh, not to say just out of Washington, but really into the. Uh, uh, across the country to, to be in, you know, working more closely with entities across the, uh, the, the cities and towns and, um, again, more broadly in, the, in the, the country on these things. Congressman, how, I guess for the benefit of our audience, how was CISA created and exactly what is its mission today? What is what? Uh, CISA. Yeah, so the CISA is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within the Department of Homeland Security. That's the uh, the primary agency that is responsible for protecting the .gov network, but it's the also the the primary entity is the the the, the point agency that deals with the private sector. So mm. again, government doesn't control uh, the the .com world or isn't responsible for per se defending it. Uh, it. It's a partner. They will be the entity that say private sector critical infrastructure would go to um, it, either their the sector risk management agency or to CISA uh, in particular, if there's a problem and CISA then can uh, call on either, either its own um, capabilities uh, or they can, uh, they have reached back to other areas of the federal government like uh, that would offer de- defense support to civil authorities and could ca- call in say uh, resources from US cyber command or NSA if they needed uh, additional backup and, and support. The one challenge is right now that CISA needs to grow its own inherent capabilities. Mm. Right now, they're, they're relying too heavily on on defense support to civil authorities, but they know CISA needs to really develop its own expertise, and they can be a more effective resource to the private sector that way. Yeah, I, one, I found it really interesting with with CISA and its ability to bring in those other agencies to protect things such as the election, um, and and really bring together all those different areas of expertise to to protect our infrastructure. That's right, and so that's a great example of how CISA was working with the private sector or with with uh, local governments and states, municipalities to better secure our elections. And I think Chris Krebs did an outstanding job mm, in that role, and he. He brought all the tools to bear that could be brought to bear to uh, protect the the critical infrastructure will of, of our election systems. And as a result, uh, as he said, we had the most secure elections in, in U.S. history. So, mm-hmm. But that's a great example of CISA working with either local state governments or with the private sector to, uh, to achieve a, a goal of stronger cybersecurity. Lee? Um, so, I mean, I just was thinking, you know, this has been really kicking butt and taking names, if you prefer, if you if you will forgive the analogy on partnerships, they've really done an outstanding job. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you if you see that any trouble with that moving forward. And the other part of thought thing I was thinking about at the same time is we 
we got these relationships we're building, we're going to be working between CISA and the and private operators. Is there going to be any um, funding available for the private operators to implement cyber defenses? Because mm. some of them are on a really tight budget. Mm. Yeah, so I, I certainly would like to create grant programs where it's appropriate, uh, where CISA could be um, you know, more effective in working with private sector and private sector or especially states and municipalities could uh, could take advantage of federal resources. Um, one of the things I'm trying to do is create a, a fund for um, uh, IT modernization uh, for certain for states and municipalities to take advantage of. Uh, we're, we, we tried it in a, in a, uh, a couple attempts in the, uh, the COVID aid bills that we put through that we wanted to put through funds for private sector critical infrastructure and we weren't able to do as much as uh, as I would like, but you know, if you look at uh, states and municipalities, they've unfortunately got antiquated IT infrastructure, uh, hard to defend, hard to upgrade, and we need to modern, see that that infrastructure modernized and incentivize moving data to the cloud. So we let um, the, uh, the 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 cloud service providers do what they do best. Uh, let them. Uh, worry about the security uh, and and the um, housing the data, if you will, and that way uh, it's, it, it states aren't trying to uh, defend against nation state attacks, if you will, or um, you know the, the hackers that might come in and 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 try to disrupt their their operations. It's best if we can uh, let the let, leave the security to the to the experts, and that way states can do what they do best, and that's providing services to their constituents. I, I agree. And I, I just read an independent report and it was a per capita analysis of data that Kansas and Rhode Island were among the two highest states in terms of unemployment fraud that occurred, especially during times uh, of COVID. And you have these states, Congressman, they were, they're trying to solve the same problem. And having, I think, federal assistance to allow them to do that securely is really one of the right uh, approaches to all of this, right? All states are trying to do the same thing. They all have to process unemployment claims, for example. That's right. That's right. And that's why uh, we wanted to create this IT modernization uh, fund. Um, that's one of the uh, the findings in the in the Salarium Commission uh, that uh, they wanted to create the, um, uh, the, the National Cybersecurity Assistance Fund. Mm -hmm. And that would also help other areas of uh, of uh, local and state government and even private sector hopefully tap into that fund for IT modernization and stronger cybersecurity. Doug, I know you had more questions for the congressman. Yeah. Um, so I, I think in, in those same lights, I, I mean, one, the biggest threats, I think, to a lot of these things come from without. They, they cross borders. They go all over the world. I was wondering, you know, are we working to try to develop more uh, cooperation with other countries so that we can prosecute people, we can we can get people who are doing things uh, that are not within our jurisdiction? I mean, I mean, I've seen some of these things with Europol and things like that. But I just wondered how we're sort of refocusing on that. Yes, so we are working with partners and allies, and we need to continue to do that because it's not just a U.S. problem or challenge; it's an international challenge or problem for us. And we're stronger together. Um, you know, if uh, um, if we try to do this in silos, you know, we're we're already uh, going to be extremely stressed and, and, and challenged to try to do this on our own. We need to work with partners and allies. That's one of the reasons why having a State Department uh, lead, that's one of the, the findings of the Salarium Commission, uh, was to create a uh, ambassador level position uh, with a bureau uh, underneath that individual to support uh, international diplomacy and cyber. And, and working closely with uh, international partners on the law enforcement side uh, to uh, identify uh, those entities that are uh, violating norms of, of behavior that are uh, conducting criminal activity. And, um, and uh, that's, that's incredibly important that we leverage uh, all assets of national power uh, to go after those entities that are trying to uh, cause us harm. So, um, you know, the, um, 
the, the perfect example is um, uh, the, the sanctions that were put on Russia uh, just recently. Um, and uh, they were identified in, uh, in, in solar winds and as a as the entity that was carried out one of the worst uh, cyber intrusions in, in U.S. history, and uh, as a result, uh, they were they were sanctioned uh, for it. So we need to make sure that uh, we are working with our partners and allies so that uh, they will join with us uh, when we and help uh, using all source intelligence to identify bad actors in in cyberspace, but then also work with us uh, to impose costs. Congressman, I find it interesting when I look back in history, so my research projects go back into the early roots of hacking. And I remember early in my career, we worked with Secret Service largely on computer crimes. And they were responsible in the late 80s, early 90s for some of the investigations. It, It strikes me that today that pretty much every law enforcement arm of the federal government and even to the state level has a cybersecurity function. Is that is that true? That's that's uh, that's that's true. Uh, and and it depends whether it's it might be Secret Service, it might be FBI. Uh, I know in, in Rhode Island we have the uh, Rhode Island State uh, mm-hmm. Police, uh, the the uh, the Joint uh, Cyber Task Force here uh, in Rhode Island uh, State Police. They have uh, they have an entity there um, on the international front. By the way, getting back to your other point, uh, we just read testimony yesterday about uh, the cyber uh, assistant legal attaches. Uh, that are the eyes and ears of the FBI uh, in country uh, overseas. So um, there's a yeah, there's so many entities now that are that are involved on the law enforcement side uh, that are trying to uh, go after cyber criminals, and it's it's a continued uh, work in progress as it evolves, um, and no shortage of challenges. Congressman, what what can we do as experts in cybersecurity to help any law enforcement agency in, for us, you know, those of us listening, especially? Yeah. So first of all, I think it's so important that we reach out to the uh, cybersecurity researcher community uh, and and you know accept the help uh, that so many people want to uh, want to offer. Um, I've been out now to DefCon mm. uh, a, a couple of times. And always impressed, obviously, with this, the size of the conference. But um, you know, I learned early on that there's a lot of good people that just want the internet to work right. Mm. Uh, they just want someone to listen. And and so, uh, is the there's uh, any number of ways that people can get involved. Uh, I was a big fan, of course, in the early days of the the hack the Pentagon program that mm-hmm. uh, Ash Carter put together. Um, uh, now. Uh, we have uh, you know other areas of government that are uh, there's the, the hack the capital uh, event that just went on. I just spoke to that uh, recently. Um, there's a there's a whole number of ways that cybersecurity researchers can can get involved and and helping to basically both protect the ecosystem uh, but protect our country. Don? Do do you think uh, Congress is starting to catch up? I, I know the first few times I talked with you quite a while ago. Uh, you know, I, I, I at least felt like that the Congress was not, you know, with, with some exceptions like yourself, there was not a lot of movement forward with the government on understanding these kind of problems. And it was it was it was very, you know, esoteric to them. Do you think do you think we've reached that tipping point where now we're starting to see people really understand they get it? They're starting to say this is very important. We need to do something. Yes, it, it, it's changed a lot since I first uh, got involved in this issue back in 2007 or 2008. Uh, I, I kind of got a lot of funny looks when I talked about the threats of cybersecurity to the country, uh, and people just didn't get it. Uh, but now they do, and it's you know, there's a number of things that I've been working on over the years. But unfortunately, uh, the, the reason why people are so aware of the problem now uh, is uh, because of the high profile. Uh, cyber attacks or intrusions that have that have occurred, including people getting their uh, the, the PII caught up in uh, in uh, some of these uh, these cyber intrusions that have stolen personal and private information, or the damage that it's done to our economy because the theft of uh, of um, intellectual property. So more and more people are aware of the problem. I don't necessarily know that everybody gets you know what to do about it. 
And mm-hmm. that's something that we're, we're, people are learning more and more about. But I, 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 I try to remind everyone that um, there is no silver bullet. We're never going to get to a place a, a day where we're 100% cyber secure. What we can do, though, is we can buy down our risk that, to something that is much more manageable than it is today. Starts with good cyber hygiene, of course. Uh, so many of the the, uh, the problems in cybersecurity could be uh, could be avoided if people didn't click on the malicious links or they had you know the strong passwords uh, um, using they used two factor authentication and those types of things. So uh, we just have to get to a, a place where we are we're educating people. Uh, starting at the very youngest ages, the Israelis are great at this. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it, it it's immersed in their whole system from K through twelve education uh, about uh, about cybersecurity. We need to do that same thing here in the United States. Congressman, are there discussions happening about international regulations about you know, for lack of a better term, cyber weapons? In other words, I could develop an exploit. I can sell that basically to whoever I want, enemy nation state or not. Are there discussions happening today on how to regulate? cyber weapons similar to how we regulate other types of, of weapons? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. And I haven't really heard, you know, heard it put that way, but um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to do that. I don't know that I have an easy answer for it right now, but um, especially when you have, it's something that's uh, you know, dual use technology mm. uh, or, or dual use program. Um, it, it can be it can be very difficult. What I will say is that, uh, and that's one of the findings of the, the Cyberspace Alarm Commission, um, that we need to make sure that uh, we're changing the calculus now, or the dynamic of you know the the, the the rush to be first to market as to both to be secure to market. Mm. So um, you know, it, for example, uh, it, it, um, the uh, liability on on uh, final goods assemblers uh, by way of example that you know we we have to have uh, you know uh, more accountability in in my view and that's one of the again, the findings of the Solarium commission um, we need to have a you know a um, a, a, a list of um, you know what's in a product if you will Mm-hmm. So that we we know um, where vulnerabilities might uh, might exist. So, um, uh, but I would say it's going to be an ongoing discussion to see what is appropriate for regulation, what might be appropriate for uh, for legislation, and then what is what's ripe for collaboration with private sector. And I I prefer to go down the road of collaboration uh, rather than you know necessarily always in, imposing. Uh, requirements mm-hmm. all right so the the concept of the the cyber weapon um one to sort of ask your your thoughts your opinion on uh some government agencies such as the fbi and some and some others recently um you know with that you know quoty fingers um hacking back uh you know <laughs> some entity uh hacking us uh, or appearing or attempting to hack us uh, so we go in and hack them uh, because they are are vulnerable. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on on some of those types of activities? So I I I, I don't support uh, hacking back uh, absent uh, government involvement, and um, I, I don't support private entities if that's the question uh, going in and and hacking back. Although it's tempting, and I'm sure there's lots of people <laughs> that would like to say, well, you know. We'll show you. You think you know your cyber tools are strong. Ours are stronger, but you don't know what unintended consequences that that mm-hmm. may set off a, a cascade of uh, reactions that you can't control. And in a country like North Korea uh, or or Iran, uh, for example, if there uh, there's a hackback that took place from the the private sector, they're not going to distinguish between it coming from, from the private sector or that government was behind it. They're just going to know that somebody from the United States attacked them, and they're going to assume that it probably came from from the government. So, if if there's going to be a hackback situation, it, it really needs to be uh, the, the government that does the hacking back, so that we're ready for the blowback and can use all tools of national power to protect us from that. Uh, but uh, you know, I will say, if you're talking about the action that the um, the FBI recently took with respect to 
uh, hacking back against uh, unpatched servers, if that's your question. Yes, sir. Uh, the FBI conducted a, a, a seizure pursuant to a warrant. And um, as you know, lots of people uh, were affected by web shells that had created uh, because they didn't patch. Um, and, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to have caused significant harm. But it was a it was an innovative way, a different way that that FBI has acted that they had in the in the past, and it and it 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 helped to neutralize the the threat. Going forward, I think we have to figure out, you know, is is that the role of the FBI, or is that something that say uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, could carry out? I think the important point there, Congressman, is acting underneath a warrant, right? Yeah, and that's that's something that in the private sector example you gave, man, I mean, you're not acting under a warrant, right? And I think that's a, a major uh, differentiator. That's, that's right, it is. Do you, do you see more of that kind of thing going forward? I, I mean, I mean, I I thought that was a very interesting story when I saw. I thought it was I thought it was innovative. I, I thought it was a good, it was a good use of resources to try and fix and patch some of these servers sort of by force since nobody would do it. Do you think that's going to be more of a thing that that, that you see the FBI or, or CISA or, or whomever going out and doing? Uh, it might be, and and you know. Certainly, it, it might even be better or more effective to the you know for the ISPs uh, to to do it, but I, w- I would certainly like to see uh, us being more proactive at closing uh, all vulnerabilities. And by the way, I will say that uh, we have the vulnerabilities equity process in the government, and that's very important because that's where they 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 weigh you know what needs to be disclosed and patched, and you know you know what they what they may not uh, for for national security purposes, uh, may hold back on. Now, there's always the uh, the uh, the lean toward disclosure, and, and I've I've been on that for a while, and and I'm I'm impressed by the way the vulnerabilities equity process works. Uh, it's a balance, but um, uh, you know it, it's it's the I think it's a it's a good process that's put in place, but um, uh, you know I'll, I guess I'll I'll just I'll just pause there. Okay. Do you see on those same lines? Do you see then, a, then like a shift away from kinetic warfare funding, maybe off into virtual warfare? I mean, even if they're not hacking back, they have to kind of be ready to do that because I think there's going to be more of that going forward, where these attacks are not necessarily going to be kinetic. There, there will be a need for that. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, Yeah, the, yeah. There's that's you know. There's always going to be that um, that that balance, and I would say that uh, it's a we we need to do a, 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 a several things. And that's one of the findings of the of the uh, the Salarian Commission. I should mention, by the way, that you know the the our strategy that we came up with was one of uh, basically three parts: uh, shape behavior, deny benefits, and impose costs. Those are the three major principles of our of our final report and so you know in some ways we're going to develop tools that um where we would impose costs but we also need to work hard to deny benefits if the bad guys do get in um you know this is not this challenge is not going to go away uh, anytime soon and um and we need to figure out to get a better strategy for uh protecting the country in cyberspace uh, we do it by working with our partners, uh, using international norms, shape and behavior. Um, assume that you know the bad guys per se are going to get in, but we want to limit their ability to do damage, and we do that by uh, denying benefits. Uh, think think of the OPM hack that occurred. You know, th- there's a, there's an entity. Obviously, they didn't un- understand that organization didn't understand the um, the 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 value of the data they were charged with protecting. And they were trying to defend old antiquated IT system, old, old uh, antiquated IT system, and the the data wasn't encrypted, so it got stolen. And uh, you know, presumably China uh, took a, a treasure trove of information. Had that uh, that information been encrypted, it would have been rendered uh, for the most part useless. Uh, so, and then we have to get you know understand the 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 issue of imposing costs. That's why. It's not just say about cyber on cyber. And by the way, I should say that you know, we are going to see more of this gray zone conflict going on, right? That is just below the threshold of armed conflict. 
Uh, and so we we need to we need to understand that, be prepared for it, and figure out how to how to deal with it. And we do that by pushing back in some ways, again denying benefits, but showing times will be imposing costs. But it's not we don't we don't think we just we don't have to think about just in terms of cyber on cyber. We can use all assets of national power to respond um, and impose costs, uh, whether it's the sanctions, indictments, law enforcement actions, uh, or you know, again working with our, working with our partners on the international front to impose costs. It sounds like Congressman that uh, defense is really a key part of the strategy for for our nation, ensuring that our infrastructure, our software and hardware is more secure that we use here in the U.S. Uh, to that end, what are your thoughts on uh, IoT or industrial IoT devices uh, and either regulation, legislation on when you bring a product to market, it has to meet a minimum standard of security for home routers, cameras, and all of these different devices that are being produced at a rapid rate. And specifically, Paul, I was just looking that up, the IoT Cybersecurity Improvement Act of 2020. Yes. So, Yeah. And, and so, as I said earlier, I think there is too much right now of a rush to market mm-hmm. as opposed to secure to market. And we really need to, uh, to change that dynamic. So that's why, you know, uh, the, the uh, having uh, liability there for final goods assemblers, uh, you know, you think of it in terms of, um, you know, someone sells you a, a car, um, you know, it, it, there's, there's liability there. Now, now by the way, when when I when I say that you know there's there's liability, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, uh, that uh, it, there has to be a a patch if there's a vulnerability. It just means that you know there somebody has to weigh the the equities there and could it cause damage? Could it cause uh, significant harm if the the vulnerability was exploited? And somebody has to take responsibility for that. So that's really that's really important. So. Um, you know, and and also the uh, the other thing that we're we're trying to do is making sure that we're using the uh, the purchasing power of the government as uh, as a as a market driver for more security. Uh, you know, you won't be able to sell to the government, for example, uh, if it's not if it's not more secure. Um, you know, that's the the, the hope is that uh, that those standards will you know, also apply more broadly to the private sector. Larry, sorry, did you have a Yeah, follow-up? no, no, I, I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. And I, you know, uh, you know, Paul, you know, we've talked in, and the other guests, uh, the other hosts rather, have talked about this a lot, that, you know, this may be the, the time that we need to see lots more legislation to to help make this go further and be stronger about what we're, what we're seeing for uh, the, the security for IoT. We think about that. That risk mass metric for the the automobile manufacturers, and we go back to the you know the movie Fight Club, you know where the the automobile manufacturers you know find an issue with the car and how much is it going to cost to fix versus mm-hmm. what does it cost to pay out all of those right. folks that could potentially be hurt. But you know we think about what the cost of an IoT device is. And usually they're pretty inexpensive, um, and compared to what it takes the development time to fix a problem versus what the potential damage could be, and you know, the potential damage is, is is staggering even for something quite small. So I'm hoping that we see more of this. I think that that's a great segue, Larry, into <clears throat> supply chain security, which came under great scrutiny uh, after the solar winds mm-hmm. breach. Cogsman, was there uh, uh, an executive order? What was what was the action by the the federal government in response to that? Yeah, so um, there were uh, there were sanctions uh, on Russia as a as a result, um, and you know there. There may be more coming down the down the pike. Uh, you know, we'll, uh, we have the ability to respond at a, at a time and place of of, of our choosing. Um, but you know, going forward, you know, people entities should be on notice that uh, you know we're we're not going to sit idly by and and uh, if you're going to engage in malicious action against us, that um, you know there are there are also consequences. Mm. Are there, are there also concerns about most of the uh, hardware um, that we use coming from China and that being part of the supply chain? I know that's a topic we talk uh, a lot about here on the show uh, is that we do import a lot of uh, the computer hardware. Yeah. So, and, and that's just it. You know, we're, supply chain security is a big deal. Something that I'm paying a lot of attention to on my subcommittee, on the armed services committee. 
Um, we are, uh, you know, uh, dependent on a lot of components uh, that are made outside the United States. And security is always going to be a challenge. For those, you know, exquisite systems, uh, certain types of chips, for example, um, we, we need to make sure that uh, we, we make them ourselves, um, whether it's the government or the, the, the private sector that we, or where we order it from. In other cases, we have to make sure that uh, you know where we're getting our, our our critical supplies that we know where it's coming from and and we know it's it's secure. So um, you know uh, that's you know that's that's what it's going to be a top priority uh, going forward. So one of the is other, it, is, oh, say go ahead, uh, Doug. Is that so? In the I've seen this this uh, SBOM software bill of materials uh, stuff being sort of tossed about. Do you think that that's viable? That that we can require products? I I know that that they were starting to require it for federal, but is that? I mean, you think that's viable to to require? I I would like to see it, but I don't know if it'll work. Uh, I do. I I think that first of all, we can require it, and it's starting to move in that direction. In some ways, the DoD does it, and we're going to be doing it more broadly in in government. But uh, you know that that the software uh, uh, that build materials to to know. You know what's in the in the software. It's going to have to at least be known so that we know if there's a problem. We know where to look and how to how to address it. Uh, and I hope that that you know that spills over into benefiting the private sector as well. Was that an executive order? Was that where that came from? That requirement. I, I remember I did a news story about it, but I'm trying to remember what it, how it was coming out. Well, I know that NT, uh, NTIA is uh, is doing great work, and they're they're proving it out uh, right now. Okay. Yeah, but it's probably it's probably going to be coming out in the executive order uh, right now. Yeah, that was. I think it just hadn't maybe gotten place yet. But I, I was there was a news story about that the other day. It was in response to Solar Winds that they wanted this software uh, bill of materials, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, we're hoping that's going to be in the executive order. I'm here that I'm hearing that uh, we'll we'll have something to that effect in there. Congressman, one of one of the other issues um, that I think we face as a nation is increasing our cybersecurity talent. Um, what, what efforts are you aware of going on now to increase the cybersecurity talent here in the U.S.? Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, we need more uh, people going to uh, it, into the cybersecurity field. I, I applaud and appreciate the work that Doug is doing uh, and, uh, and the academic side. Uh, we also have the uh, the Cyber Core program, and that was one of the findings of the Selenium Commission that we wanted to uh, grow that uh, that. Um, that uh, the CyberCorp program significantly. Uh, I know many of you are familiar with it, uh, but um, it's uh, CyberCorp uh, is a scholarship for service program. Uh, you can be accepted as a, a junior and senior in, um, uh, in college, and your tuition will be paid for your junior and senior year. You get a stipend of $22,500. And when you graduate, uh, you go into some type of government cybersecurity work uh, at the local, state, or federal level for a period of two years to hmm. to help pay back your uh, your again your scholarship for service uh, that you're accepted into, and and so uh, government can't just compete for more cyber talent uh, to to get grow its share of the uh, piece of the pie. We need to grow grow the whole pie itself, so it benefits both government and the private sector. So again, big shout out to Doug White for for what he's doing. He's been a pioneer here and in, mm -hmm. in educating the next generation in in cybersecurity. And uh, we need to continue to to uh, to grow that effort, including, by the way, um, you know, educating kids at the youngest levels, K through twelve, as I mentioned earlier. So both uh, instilling cybersecurity awareness, uh, but you know, also doing things like teaching coding and and secure coding uh, at, at very young ages and. So that all this is kind of baked in from when they're they're very young. Hmm. Agreed. Doug, did you have more more questions, topics? I, uh, the only other question I, I was it was kind of in a different light, but I I know there's a lot of of pressure to roll out broadband to everyone because I think if we don't do that people are going to be left behind I, I don't really even it's very tough for me to even conceptualize how people's kids and whatever do things in school if they don't have access to some kind of broadband 
But I, I was wondering, are we doing things as we talk about that to also push cyber hygiene, cyber knowledge down to the same people who are getting this broadband so that they don't become the next generation of victims of, of all this fraud and crime that's going on? Well, we need to do more of that, uh, of course. And uh, now the broadband side, um, uh, very, uh, very pleased that the, uh, the the president's Americans Jobs Plan is going to put money into uh, into uh, broadband, so more IT infrastructure. But you know, it it really it has to be part of a you know a, a, an IT infrastructure package going forth and. Yeah, cyber needs to be a a, a primary concern uh, for any future government spending. Yeah, I mean, I get a lot of calls from like you know people, uh, police officers, towns, and things, just saying you know we don't know what to do. We got people calling us, our constituents are calling us. So I, it, it's sort of I, I'm glad they're rolling out broadband, but it also creates a whole new you know a whole new avenue of problems for uh, with people being exposed to this stuff. Yeah, the other thing I'll, I'll mention too is that. We, we also, going back to security of industrial control systems, we need to make sure that we're properly training the installers uh, on a lot of the equipment as well. Um, I know it's a little bit unrelated to what we were just talking about, but I wanted to mention that something I meant to, meant to mention earlier that um, you know not only do we need to have stronger security for uh, operational uh, control systems, but we also need to make sure that the operators that are installing this stuff are are well versed in in security, you know, just in the way that um, you know an electrician is is steeped in safety training right from the mm. from the get go. If you don't, you know, you touch the wrong hot wire and you're dead. Uh, well, we need to make sure that uh, we're also steeping uh, security in, in mind for the uh, those uh, those those installers as, as well. Oh, I, I completely agree. <laughs> so so we you know. Between the congressman and, and Dr. Doug, we've kind of got Rhode Island nailed. How do we get the other forty-nine? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a you know I've got some great partners first of all in, in cybersecurity, and I was very pleased years ago uh, when I first got into this uh, to start the Cybersecurity Caucus with my colleague and friend Mike McCall, a Republican colleague from uh, from Texas. Uh, I got Congressman Mike Gallagher, uh, who I served with on the Armed Services Committee, and uh, he and I serve on the Solarium Commission together. He was the one of the co-chairs, along with Angus King, our great two great co-chairs. Uh, uh, Dutch Ruppersberger from the great state of Maryland. Uh, he's on the Appropriations Committee. He's got NSA in his district, and he's another uh, cyber <laughs> warrior and champion. Um, and mm -hmm. so the 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 list is growing, uh, but um, you know it, it's. Uh, it's a it's a work in progress. I would like to eventually see, and it's one of the findings of the Salem Commission, that we create a cybersecurity uh, committee, a select committee on cybersecurity in Congress. Uh, that way, you get members that really develop the expertise, and you streamline, uh, you know, the the jurisdictional uh, fights or issues that you have. Because right now, there's some 80 different committees and subcommittees that have jurisdiction over cybersecurity in some way, shape, or form. It's just too many. You know, you, you can't do proper oversight that way. So eventually, I think we're going to need a select committee on cybersecurity. It's just it's just uh, too uh, too big. And so, um, um, you know, we, we need to let members know that cybersecurity is a big deal in every congressional district in the, district of the country. That's another area. So, you know, when you asked earlier, what can uh, the, the uh, cybersecurity researcher community uh, do? What can people uh, that are interested in this topic do? Get to know your members and their staff, and you can serve as a resource to them. Um, never underestimate the uh, amazing uh, talent that that you have that that the government also needs, uh, just in terms of education and awareness. And um, not every member is going to care about cybersecurity, but you can help the the, the member and their staff uh, to understand the challenges or be a resource to answer the tough questions for them. So, following on any any. Any tough tough nuts to crack that are frustrating that we we haven't asked you about? Well, to, there's uh, <laughs> never a shortage of of, of issues um, and things that uh, that we could talk about. Um, you know, I was very proud of the work that we did on on Solarium. You know, eighty recommendations, mm -hmm. 
And the fact that we get 27 of them of the 55 legislative proposals through in Congress uh, is, is is just great. And the one thing that um, that had been missing this whole time, again for 10 years, I've been I've been raising the awareness of this that we didn't have a quarterback on the field, uh, and we know we it was the point person for the government really pulling all this together. Uh, we had the closest we had is the cybersecurity advisor in the White House but didn't have any policy or budgetary authority. Mm. Uh, we needed someone that had a position that's the, you know, the, 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 the bite, if you will, that has the, the authorities to compel departments and agencies to close their, close their vulnerabilities and uh, do more in cybersecurity. Uh, we fought now finally have that person. The last year, the, the National Defense Authorization Act, one of the findings that one of the proposals we were able to get through is creating a Senate-confirmed national cyber director. And I wanna give a big shout out to Chris Inglis, as the first uh, ever national cyber director to be nominated. Uh, he's, he's awaiting confirmation right now. Uh, Chris was my pick for, uh, for cyber, the first ever cyber director. Uh, he's a thought leader on, on cybersecurity, former direct, deputy director of the NSA. And uh, so I'm excited about uh, the talent that he's going to bring to this new administration. Now, a big shout out to President Biden, too. You know, he really gets this. He's doing more on cyber. I was just I was just with also with uh, Vice President Kamala Harris yesterday. She was in Rhode Island and she and I had a side chat. And I said, I understand that you're going to be taking the point on uh, on cybersecurity. And and she said, yes, she's been working on it for uh, years and years now, back to when she was attorney general in uh, in uh, California. And so we pledged to work together. Her office has already reached out to uh, my office and we're going to get some things going. But uh, we're uh, and and also the administration created the uh uh, Ann Newberger's position, Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber. So, and um, uh, you've got Jen Easterly, who's going to be the new director of, of CISA. Uh, so we're getting the right people in place with the right authorities. And uh, now we're just going to continue to keep the uh, the oars moving in the right direction. But we're, we're, we're getting there. I'm excited about the, the future for better protecting the country in cyberspace. I'm always honored to do um, uh, my part. Congressman, thank you so much uh, for all of your work, uh, especially that in, in cyber. It's near and dear to our hearts here in the show and our listeners. So thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And next up is the security news. Make sure you stay tuned.